just calm the fuck down. You come at me with that pile of fucking laundry asking me, hanging out on the line. Johnny, what time is it? Huh? What time is it? You know what? I don't fucking care. That's what time it is. It's, I don't fucking care what time it is. And you need to chill the fuck up uh, out about the laundry, man. Because it's, I don't know, it's probably not even like 2 o'clock in the afternoon. You know? My dear friends, and welcome to another episode of the Painting Pictures Podcast. I am Gabriel Roberts, and I'm coming to you from the Northeast Kingdom of beautiful Vermont, USA. I'm in the Green Mountain State, and I've got a pair of green license plates on Susie Subaru. And boy, do they look sharp. I'll tell you, I was... um, I was a little bit concerned at first because I saw the color of the green plates. It's kind of like a Kelly green. It's beautiful green. But the color of Susie Subaru is its a little bit of a more darker blue-green. And it, it matched very well with the green in the mountains of the Colorado license plate, which I loved. I was really into that when I got those plates instead of the boring white California plates. Holy smokes, California... Could you make a more boring license plate? I guess the problem is that they have to fit so many numbers on it, there's not room for anything cool. But, I mean, Vermont doesn't have any pictures on it, and and their license plates are classic and cool. California used to have a great license plate. They used to have two great license plates. First, it was yellow on black. Those of you that are really old will probably remember that. And then it was yellow on blue. Also really cool, and those of you that aren't super old um, might remember that. I I actually remember that. I do. I remember that. <laughs> I was little, and we were driving a, a big Econoline van. You had to put your whole body into to close that door. Like, you really, especially when you're like a tiny five-year-old with not a whole lot of muscle mass, it took the whole body to... Shut that sliding door. Nowadays, they do it automatically. Minivans are so cool. So I'm in Vermont, and I uh, drove across the country with my beautiful fiance, and we are in her homeland. It's where she came from. It's where she grew up, and it's pretty cool to uh, to see it. It's a different world. Vermont's a different land. Things are laid out differently. Everything's a tiny town. Um, there's beautiful white churches and the towns are like really small, really small. I thought that Paonia was a small town. Well, here in Vermont, uh, there, it's an even smaller town, and or the towns are even smaller. And they're all connected by small roads, so you know you could have a forty-five minute commute to work, and you're just going on two-lane roads winding through hills, sometimes turning to dirt. Um, 
it's gorgeous. Not a great place for uh, long-lived automobiles. And, um, you know, for reasons besides the care and health and longevity of dear Suzy Subaru, uh, we probably won't be here in the wintertime, but I'm glad because a few winters in Vermont and your car will just be destroyed. Just be completely destroyed. Everything will start rotting, rusting. Your brakes, your brake lines, your shocks will get shot from all the the potholes that you go through. Um, So, you know... I don't want to really deal with that. So there was a moment after I got Suzy Subaru inspected that I thought I had down the road, two, three, four years down the line, when uh, at some point, I think it's going to be longer than that. Okay, I'm just going to put that out there. I think that it's going to be plenty more years. But at some point, this machine that I have called Susie and and put so much love into is going to um depart it's you know she'll who knows how the 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 next steps of her life will unfold at some point her life will take a step you know away from mine we will be separated and then at some point she'll be probably crushed in a massive hydraulic crushing machine with you know huge hydraulic arms that'll just smush her what happens to her soul at that point what happens to her little green japanese soul i don't know but i got really um emotional thinking about it and anyway folks i'm just glad that i don't have to to put her through vermont winters you know i'd much rather just be renting some shit puffy new car and not give a shit about it. I mean, maybe that's ultimately what is best, you know, just buy new cars all the time. Every two years, trade it in, get a new car, and then you never develop any sentimental attachment because new automobiles have no character anyway. There's nothing to get attached to. There's no way you can build affection for these big puffy, shiny, silent computer machines. They have no souls. So maybe that's the thing to do. But I, you know, have developed this incredible affection for this automobile, and I'm really glad she doesn't have to endure, you know, a cold, rust-inducing winter in Vermont. That being said, at the end of the day, all things being equal... What I'm realizing is, I don't know what I was, where I was going with that. That was just a way to fill some space. Uh, don't know what the winter's going to entail. We're, we don't know. At this point, we've just got spring and summer and fall. And that's, <laughs> that's three out of the four seasons in a year. So I feel like that's pretty good. I mean, do you really <laughs> expect to have the next four seasons planned out? What are you, about to open a new high-end restaurant chain slash hotel chain called the Five Seasons? Uh, you know, I can't think that far ahead. Who knows what it's going to be like? But I do know that whatever it is, I'll, I'll try my darndest to avoid driving this car in the winter. And if I do drive it in the winter, I'll probably, you know, I'll definitely rent a garage 
and I'll do some crazy, like meticulous things where after every drive, I'll like get on a little cart and wheel myself underneath Susie and like rub down her brake lines. Uh, so yeah, we got, Susie got inspected, got those sweet license plates. Uh, next step, hopefully today is getting a phone, getting a phone that works. Phone doesn't work up here. No service. Um, it's, it's funny to have a phone and realize that like the, the part of the phone that's actually the phone not working doesn't feel like that big of a deal. Like, I don't feel like my phone is that different right now. Even though it gets no service whatsoever, I only use it for Wi-Fi. And that's because I'm often, you know, being pinged by beams of of Wi-Fi. And I don't often use the phone feature on my phone. But when it comes to getting work and when it comes to calling people, you know, a phone's pretty useful. So, going to get me a phone. It's probably going to be a flip phone. Really excited about that. Uh, everyone will probably think I'm really cool. Like, oh, wow, this guy's cool. He's going back to just the flip phone. Way to go. And then I'll have to come out and tell the truth and say, I have an iPhone 5C. <laughs> yeah, I have I have an iPhone. And I have Instagram. And then they'll be like, oh, I, I thought you were cool. I'll be like, well, I am. I am cool. You know. Uh, I still do have a flip phone. Like, if you want to associate coolness with having a flip phone or not, you can still do that. Um, and also, like, I drink beer, you know? I drink beer, and, like, I sometimes I'll smoke a cigarette. Like, if I've had a few drinks, and the timing is right, the moment is right. <laughs> when the moment is right, like, when I'm sitting in a, in a, in a clawfoot bathtub on the beach uh, next to my lover who's also in another clawfoot bathtub i'm referencing the cialis commercials here i don't know if you picked up on that um this podcast is not brought to you by cialis but if it were they would probably want to remind you that um that there's nothing more romantic than being out in open space in a in a bathtub and it's probably that's so romantic because it's so incredibly logistically difficult. It's a logistical nightmare getting those two clawfoot bathtubs down to the beach and filling them up with hot water. <laughs> Not an easy task. So once that's completed and you're in those tubs and you're naked and you get to reach across and hold the hand of your lover and watch the sunset... Boy, uh, that's as romantic as it gets because it's just so satisfying to know that you've overcome that huge logistical hurdle of, first of all, finding two clawfoot bathtubs. And then they're very heavy. You know, they're made of iron, I believe. Iron. And then transporting them down to the beach, you got to have a truck. You probably, I mean, you're going to want a forklift or a team of sturdy men. So once you get it down to that beach and then you got to somehow get hot water and cart it down. So, you know, maybe that's the job of the sturdy men. Maybe you have a team of indigenous women who carry jugs of water on their head. But that's really dangerous because, you know, it's like almost boiling hot because you want to make sure that the bathtub's hot enough. 
and then they've got to they've got to carefully pick their way down the stairs to the beach and out to the tubs and dump in their um, loads of hot water. And then and then they all just you know you need them to you need to pay them and then just have them get out of the way and, and leave because then you have to get naked and get in the tub and be like ah this is great. So <clears throat> this is all to say that you know I'm a cool dude. I haven't smoked cigarettes. Uh, much lately. It's because I had a I've had a cold. You know, I get to Vermont and I get a cold, and I'm just coming out of it. Boy, does it feel good to not be sick. I hate being sick. I hate being sick. I have incredible fear about being sick, about getting sick. I have. It's like this. It's the biggest thing I'm scared of. I guess being sick. And if I get a little hint of being sick, or I stay up too late one night, or I don't think I'm getting enough vitamin D or vitamin C, then I'll start panicking about it. I go back and read my journals, which sometimes I do. Most of the time, I'm like fretting about getting sick, or you know, saying, "Oh, you know, now I'm really getting, really getting, you know, my sleep and my nutrition together. It's all coming together. Next week's going to be really good." Next week's going to be really good. I'm going to, you know, I'm getting the rest I need, et cetera, et cetera. But I got a cold, and uh, it's been about a week now. I don't know that I've ever had a cold before. It was kind of exciting. It's like, oh, um, I'm sneezing sometimes. Uh, I'm a little bit congested. Sometimes I cough a little bit. Um and like I just have sort of a vague uh, energy depleted feeling. That's a cold. It's a virus. Um, it's a cold virus. Everyone talks about it. Cold. Oh, I got a cold. Oh, it's cold season. Oh, this is good for cold. But I feel like I never actually get a cold. I just get really sick and get like a flu. Well, I'm getting over the cold. I'm going to have a cell phone so people can hit me up. Gonna try to keep my same number, of course. That's really important. Keep that phone number. You never know when someone from six years ago is gonna stumble across your number and call you and tell you that they want to give you six thousand dollars. It could happen. And if you change your phone number, <laughs> uh, well, they're gonna they're gonna give that six thousand dollars to the next chump, and he's probably gonna just blow it on donuts or something i just want to briefly say uh how disappointed i am the stock the dow jones industrial average fell 43 points yesterday uh it's down to 17,000 something or other and i know this is probably a lot of you are probably a little scared uh i myself you know generally just i'm not happy today until i'm gonna until i check the stock reports again and hear that the Dow Jones has recovered. Because the Dow Jones Industrial Average is the ultimate marker of the strength of our economy. And ultimately, it's going to mean, you know, it's going to translate to jobs for me, you know, work for me, and um, more money for me. And it's going to translate to, you know, the United States doing more humanitarian things around the world, you know, doing more good things for other countries. You know, supporting uh, democratic leaders, you know, um, helping people 
you know, find health care and set up, you know, have good education. Um, you know, just being the wonderful, wonderful force that we are around the world. Um, you know, that's important. And I feel like all that is threatened, but when the Dow Jones goes down. And uh, so anyway, it's going to be a bit of a rough day for me. 43 points, you know, down to 17,000 something or other. That's uh, got me a little bit uneasy. So uh, let's just all hope that the Dow Jones recovers today. The S&P 500 was up, but, you know, I don't put a whole lot of stock. (laughs) I don't put a whole lot of stock in the S&P 500, if you know what I mean. My only experience with the stock market is in the sixth grade, we had a project where we picked stocks and we followed them in the newspaper. And um, overall, I think we lost some money. We mainly stuck with blue chips. You know what our best stock was? Gillette. (laughs) The best a man can get. Yeah, Gillette. And boy, Gillette just kept... um, Maybe they were coming out with the Mach 2, the Mach 3. I don't know. This was back in 96, something like that. But yeah, Gillette was great. Gillette was really, uh, really a winner for us. Um, anyway, so that's what I'm dealing with today. I'm going to take you guys back in time a little bit on this podcast. I don't know why I feel this need to like wrap up my Cochabamba experience. Maybe I just like talking about how I went to Bolivia and I was in Cochabamba. I don't want us to forget about that. You know, I don't want people to think that I'm just like, oh, I'm just some normal dude now. No. I went to an artist residency in Bolivia. <laughs> Did you know that? Yeah. Oh, yeah, it was all right. <laughs> um, except for these mother-effing barking dogs. Every night, same thing, the same, <clears throat> excuse me, same half a dozen dogs in the neighborhood getting into it. I, I, I don't know what goes through their minds. I guess during the day they have other sounds to distract them, you know, people to smell and sniff and run around with. But at night, they seem to have nothing better to do than to bark. And I really, I wanted to kill all of them. I wanted to poison, shoot, maim decapitate these goddamn dogs it was too, it was hot if the window was closed you know you want that airflow so you open the window and that's what you have to deal with barking dogs barking dogs and i i just have no tolerance for it i don't think i'll ever be the type of person that loves living in a city and just loves the sound of the hustle and bustle of the city it's just not me and uh, you know, it's a good thing I got out of there before I killed a whole bunch of dogs. It's a quality of life thing. It's a quality of life. And, you know, maybe some people legitimately like noise. 
But I don't think anybody likes the sound of barking dogs. And if you if you have a dog, that's just not okay. I don't know. I don't know where you think that's okay. That your dog yaps like that endlessly every single night. How would you handle that? You're sleeping right next to your dog and it's doing that. I guess people must have just gotten accustomed to it. Not notice it anymore. And accept that as a part of life. That's a sad state of affairs, folks. It's a sad state of affairs. How how does your soul, you know, be calm and at ease? And, and how do you reach any depth of thought or feeling when you're constantly being assailed by noise i don't know that was just that was a struggle for me i think that's like the overall theme of cochabamba was like what am i doing in this city with all these barking dogs uh and all these cars buzzing around and trying to make art it made no sense it would have the only thing that made it would make sense would be like uh, writing a guidebook on, like, the best choripan in the city. Which, that would have been fun. Then I would just spend all day, you know, taking inexpensive cab, cab rides around this interesting city and trying delicious sausages and then writing about it. And then in the evening, like, ah, I'm done. Kick on back, have a couple beers, chat with people, maybe play some ping pong. But making paintings... Just, just, just wasn't a good fit. Wasn't a good fit. The place was too, uh, too, too bustling, too much buzz, buzz, buzzing. And it really uh, became clear to me that when it comes to making art, I need to be settled. I need to be settled. I need to be relaxed. I need to be open. I need to be not on guard. You know, I need to be kind of let down, open, vulnerable. You know what you know. You know what I'm talking about. Well, I finally got sufficiently set up and established and comfortable to to really get painting. <clears throat> and then I took a trip to a little town called Samaipata, where my fiance had found a work exchange on a, an orchard, and we rented a little room in the town. And that was probably the highlight of the whole experience for me. Um, was spending we spent about ten days, rented a room. I felt like Ernest Hemingway. You know, we had a room in town. We had a lady that was cooking us breakfast in the morning. We could walk down to the cafe, eat breakfast, and have coffee. And after budgeting so hard for my first month and a half there, uh, I was a little bit more in vacation mode. I was having fun spending money on meals. And in Bolivia, you can do that because you get seven Bolivianos for every single dollar. God bless you, Bolivia, for being so remarkably affordable. And boy, do I like spending money on food. Boy, do I like it. Samaipata was gorgeous, tranquil, quiet, beautiful, surrounded by mountains, kind of in the rainforest, and incredibly safe. Nobody locked their doors. Uh, there was no crime. You felt totally comfortable. And that that's where an artist residency belongs. I made a couple of paintings there. I made some color discoveries. I tried uh, painting without white. No white. I realized I'd been using way too much white. <laughs> and from that point on, I started using limiting my palette a little bit, using just one blue, um, 
you know, trying to get clearer color and trying not to use so much white. And what I did is I mixed some yellow and brown into my whites so they weren't so darn overwhelming and and milky that they had more color to them. And, and I think the result was paintings with, with, with better color. And that was great. And that was an achievement. We also rented a motorcycle. Boom, 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 boom. Never driven a motorcycle before. Uh, now I can ride a motorcycle. No big deal. It's fun. It's the mo it's like probably the most fun thing in the entire world. If you've never driven a motorcycle, you're missing out, bro. This is like uh, it's just pure ridiculous, ridiculous fun. We rented this sweet little brand new 125 cc dirt bike. And went up on dirt roads into the mountains. Um, I almost ate it <laughs> a couple of times, but never did. Stayed upright, made it through, like crossed a couple streams, went down a couple steep hills, and then just like let it really rip going up some hills a couple times. We're talking uh, 30 miles an hour, so you know. Not really, but for these little dirt roads and for me being a, a complete novice on a motorbike, it felt pretty strong. After Samaipata and back in Cochabamba, we had three weeks before the end of our time, and they were three solid, solid weeks, solid productivity. Went back to the park where I had painted before and made a couple more paintings. Um, got really sick with amoebas. Disgusting creatures. Absolutely disgusting creatures. Um, I had been all about, you know, power of your own gut, don't take antibiotics, power through, power through. But then I got destroyed by these amoebas and eventually broke down and went and got my poop tested um that's pretty funny like you go to the lab and and say you need some to get tested and they give you a little cup and say you know here's for your fecal matter uh there's bathroom down the hall okay i can understand testing someone's urine and just giving them a cup to go pee People pee dozens of times a day, probably. But poop? I mean, who can poop on command? Who who, who, who poops like five times a day or, or, you know, can just be like, oh, okay, yeah, I'll just go take a crap right now. Not me. <laughs> Not me, folks. So I took the cup home. I didn't tell the lab technician where I was going. Um... I just took the cup and, and I went home and I hadn't been drinking coffee because I'd been trying everything to right my stomach and I hadn't been drinking caffeine or alcohol. And I was like, well, here we go. It's time for my first cup of coffee in a week. Um, I got a real good reason for it. And I won't go into the details of collecting my own stool sample, but I'll just say that like, there's no magical way to do it. That's all. That's all I need to say on that. I think. Well, the results came back. 
Uh, first, they apparently came back negative. I, I, the lab technician gave me the results and was like, okay, go to the doctor for your prescription. You have amoebas. And I was like, are you sure? And she's like, yes. I was like, wow, I have amoebas. I have to have antibiotics. I go to the doctor. She opens the envelope, looks at the test results and says, uh, do you still have diarrhea? And I was like, yeah. And she's like, oh, well, um, you know, I can give you an anti-diarrhea medication. But other than that, there's everything came back negative. And I was like, really? The technician told me that I had amoebas. She points to the paragraph that says, talks about amoebas, where it says, like, cantidad normal of, uh, uh, I forget what the amoebas are called. She's like, no, see here, it says normal quantity. And I was like, oh, so that means I don't have amoebas. And she's like, yeah, you don't have amoebas. And I was like, great. And then I was really excited. And I went home and I was like, yeah, I don't have amoebas. I'm going to probably get over this really soon. And the whole day, <clears throat> I'm still feeling crappy. And I'm like, I know something's wrong. And I'm thinking of that earnest gaze of that lab technician as she handed me my results and said, you have amoebas. And I'm thinking, she just looked at my poop and hands me the envelope and says, I have amoebas. Maybe she was right. And I do have amoebas, and maybe the doctor's just a complete moron. Well, she wasn't, and maybe still is a complete moron. I went back to the clinic that evening with my little readout and fortunately saw another doctor who read the readout and immediately prescribed me an anti-parasite medication for the amoebas, which worked. It worked like a charm. Um, The amoebas were utterly demolished by the medication and I gave thanks to the power of Western medicine. Sometimes there's just no other way to do it, folks. You gotta just bite the bullet and take the pills. And thank God, because I got to be rid of those little things. Just in time to put on the, the final show there in Cochabamba. We repainted the whole studio. My fiance was incredibly helpful in revolutionizing that space and turning it into what looked like a gallery from before what looked like a a storage room and had a good turnout a good show a lot of people saw the work sold a couple of pieces it was a really good conclusion to the whole experience one of the fun things that happened when we got back to Cochabamba is we had a ping pong tournament and I won my first match Obviously, you're only concerned with how I did. I'm sorry, I did not win. Did not win. I, I failed you. I failed you all. But I did lose to the eventual champion. So I won my first match. I lost the second match to who turned out to be the champion. So in that way, I basically got second. Well, after the tournament, I interviewed um, Eric Taylor, the SB ping-pong tournament champion. Eric Taylor, is it true that you learned ping-pong in India? That's true, yeah. Like, living in the dorms there against the... Well, mostly it was the northeastern Indians. They were the, really? Yeah. They're on the border with China. They play like the Chinese. Oh, wow. And were you... You guys were in college, kind of? Yeah, it was when I was at university. So these were young kids. I was actually, like, about 26, and they were mostly, like, 18, 19. You know, in their form, I was, you know... Wait, you were 26? I was about 26 then. In university? Were you doing yeah, grad school? I was doing grad school, yeah. Oh, cool. And they use a lot of spin. They use a ton of spin, yeah. 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 Well, it served you well tonight. 
Um, any advice for young ping pong players just getting started? Just getting started. Uh, go to India? I'd say that's that's one technique. I, yeah. Yeah, if you could even do one better, go to China. Go to China. Uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> Live in the dorms in China. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Uh-huh. Cheers. Thanks very uh, much. No, oh. we, got a, we got a comment here yeah. from uh, Abram Cortez, head of the doping committee here in uh, Coach Obama, Bolivia. Oh. We plan on running a full trial of tests on Mr. Eric here to see if it really was clean. Well, we're talking about, we got an announcement. Enhancing drugs, correct? Not. <laughs> <laughs> we're no, going to test for all to... drugs and a combination of any five illegal drugs. Shouldn't you do that before the competition? No, we're going to do it on the winner anyways because we have limited funds. So. Oh, yeah, just do it once. <laughs> we're just going to do it once. So. Uh, he well, may have one. He's unofficial winner. So then, so then, what happens? You start the tournament over. No, then it gets to the fourth place. Winner. You guys even know how to drug test people? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. We just what make are the we, we make people pee in a cup, and uh, we put it in a bowl. And if dogs come and lick the pee, then there's illegal drugs in the system. That's a good test. Where will SB Ping Pong Tournament 2017 be? You think? Uh, that's a great question. That's uh, that's yet to be determined. You know? <laughs> I'm thinking somewhere out there towards Tiki Paya. You plan on defending? I don't know if I'll be here. I might have to. I don't know. Honestly. Okay. When do you think you'll know? Because it's an important tournament. Well, I think I probably won't be here. To be honest with you, I wow. think I'll be uh, in the Amazon starting up my own ping pong tournament. Wow! A separate ping pong tournament. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe wow. the winner can be flown, and we'll meet in a neutral location. <laughs> that sounds like a good plan. Yeah. <laughs> well, muchas gracias, Eric. <laughs> That was Eric Taylor reflecting on his his victory in the SB ping pong tournament, and Abram McCorders <coughs> posing as the Cochabamba anti-doping authority, which, as we all know, does not exist. But uh, then I proceeded to interview the commissioner Logan Pratico, who had put the whole tournament on <clears throat> to try to get a little more information about Eric Taylor and how he entered and ended up winning the tournament. What are you using for? All right, I'm with Commissioner Logan Pratico. Yes. And we just finished the 2016 Beer Pong Tournament. What do you say about Eric Taylor, the champion? I was mean, not even registered. Is it true that Eric Taylor was not even registered for the tournament? He was not. He was not in the random either. Um, you know, to be honest with you, I don't know what you're going to believe, what you're not going to believe, but I did not ask Eric to play this game to beat Fabio. It did not happen. <laughs> don't, don't even I didn't even say that. that. What, what yeah. is, you know, like, it's so, just... You can just show up to these tournaments? You don't have to be registered? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's one of those things where... I mean, to be honest, I, I can pull out one of those brackets right out there that I have in the office sitting there. It's got Eric's name on it. got a little circle around it. Oh, really? Because, yeah, because he originally said he was in to play oh, the game. okay. And then I... And then he said he might have All something right. going on. All right. Okay. Well, you might get off the hook this yeah. time, but... Commissioner... You might have gotten off like that question, but a few folks at home are wondering, been tweeting all over, all night, all night, since you slided Tim Turnbull in the first oh, round. Can you please sure. explain that matchup in which you promised he would not play Falco? Then he played Falco. Can you, can you please explain to Tim's fans back in Minnesota hey, Tim. what you did? Yeah, uh, you know, I, I'm really sorry that it went down that way, uh, Tim's fans. Una falta de respeto para Tim. Yeah, the, uh, the unfortunate nature. Hang on, I'm doing an interview real quick. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, 
with your bloated salary, how do you explain ridiculous performances like this where an unregistered participant wins the entire tournament? Well, you know, the thing that happens is, first of all, to address my large salary, you know, everybody just, you put in, you put in six Bs, it goes to a donation, all right? It's, I didn't say what it was a donation for, okay. all right? So that's for my salary. As for, I don't even remember what the other question was. Well, that's about it. Yeah. <laughs> That's about all we got. This is usual with professional sports commissioners. It's a whole lot of misdirection, a whole lot of meaningless chatter. Uh, these guys are really slick and, and really good at talking and seeming to hear what the question is and then just saying whatever it is they want. It's a skill, folks. It's a skill, and if you want to be in politics or you know in the upper echelons of corporate world... Business, uh, sports administration, something you're going to have to learn. How to not acknowledge the truth in somebody's question or statement and just say whatever you want to say because ultimately that's what matters, right? It doesn't matter what people ask. It doesn't matter what the truth is. It matters that you put out that consistent message that you want to. So the final final. Part of my Bolivian experience was a vacation to the beautiful Lake Titicaca. All right, all right, settle down, everybody. Settle down. Lake Titicaca. I know, settle down, folks. Settle down. It's a real lake. That's really what it's called. It's one of the highest, if not the highest, lake in the world. I don't know. You know, I don't have the time to look that up, obviously. It's totally breathtaking, and my fiance and I spent, oh gosh, a week, week and a half, um, in Copacabana, which is the less famous uh, Copacabana that's on the shore of Lake Titicaca, and then we took a ferry out to La Isla del Sol, where there are no cars, just donkeys. Here's a little audio clip of us on our first day in, on the island, hiking from the southern to the northern uh, point of the island and passing uh, a shepherd <coughs> shepherd and his flock of sheep.
allí, no, no lo sabíamos. Aquí hay dos, uno por cada uno. Gracias. Ah, that was only, that was uno, right? Yeah. <coughs> Otra. Dos. Gracias. Wow. Enter enterprising. <laughs> so that was the little shepherd who was whistling in that audio clip. And once we got up to him, he uh, he said, pay me. <laughs> pay me for taking pictures of my sheep. After the fact, we thought of a wonderful comeback, which was like, oh, I didn't know that your sheep was a celebrity. I'm sorry, I wasn't aware that your sheep was a famous sheep. And we have to pay for it. Cheeky little bugger. We didn't have to pay him, but, um, you know, if he had just asked for money, I probably would have given him some, because how can you say no when... You're getting seven Bolivianos for one dollar. How can you say no to giving them one Boliviano? We ended up giving him two Bolivianos because we were nice. And uh, I gotta admire his enterprising spirit. That was um, that was the end of the trip then. That was it. That was a little bit of tourism. Um, a lot of fun. Some beautiful places. Um Nice to be able to spend time just walking in a spectacular setting, seeing this beautiful, huge lake and the, the Andes Mountains jutting up all around it. It was really breathtaking. And we got to see baby pigs all over. There are a lot of beach pigs on the beaches along Isla del Sol. Uh, baby pigs are so cute. If you've never seen a baby pig, um, check it out. I want to play for you a rant that I recorded while in Cochabamba, somewhere over those last three weeks, when I had just come from somebody saying something about Donald Trump or Bernie Sanders or Hillary Clinton, and I was feeling really tired of hearing about the United States election. I just want to warn you that this is a this is a rant. You know, this is me getting emotional. This is me probably not using accurate facts. Um, it's me stretching into an arena that I normally stay away from, which is politics. And, um, so take it with a grain of salt or two, if you like salt. A lot of talk about the 2016 United States of America presidential election. A lot of talk about Donald Trump, Bernie Sanders, and Hillary Clinton. And it really grinds my gears. It grinds my gears because it's talked about so much these days, and people get really passionate about it. They really want Bernie Sanders to win. They really don't want Donald Trump to win. That's the circle I'm in, of course. I'm sure there are a lot of people that are really wanting Donald Trump to win, really wanting Hillary Clinton to win. There's also a really nice, weird segment of people that are like, well, I'd like Bernie Sanders to win, but uh, let's be realistic. You know, let's just, let's be realistic and go for Hillary. Now, without mentioning, going too deep into uh, these candidates, um, I'd like to stay vague here and talk about the idea of a presidential election. And the problem is, that here's the thing, folks. 
It doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. Um, it will not change the course of our country or the world as it is who wins this election. Part of me thinks that maybe Bernie Sanders, if he were elected, would make something of a difference. But if that's the case, then there's no way he will be elected. They just simply won't allow it. There's a really fantastic example now in the Democratic primaries happening with the super PAC, or the, uh, no, not super PAC, the super delegates. So these uh, primaries go state by state, and whether or not you win the popular vote has no effect on whether or not these super delegates, these special people who nobody knows anything about, vote for you. And although Bernie Sanders has won most of the prim uh, primaries, the popular vote, Hillary Clinton is way ahead in terms of superdelegates, and so she's obviously going to win the nomination. And basically, it's just a very nice, simple way of proving that your vote does not matter. <laughs> Even if uh, the popular vote votes one way, it doesn't matter. Um, we saw this back in the 2000 election, which was obviously stolen. Popular vote went for Gore, and they found a way to fudge it down in Florida and make sure the Bush won. Not that Gore really would have made much of a difference either. <sighs> what I hate is that I'm in Bolivia, and I'm being surrounded by talk of Trump and, and Clinton and Sanders. <clears throat> by these very, very nice people, very nice people here that want to talk about these things, and they care. They really care. But what they don't know is that it doesn't matter one iota who wins. And all this talk is a massive distraction to give us some semblance of feeling of control or participation or that any of this fucking matters at all. As if all of the strings are not being pulled by massive powers that are beyond our control. We think that an election is going to change things. And so we get really riled up to make sure that Donald Trump doesn't win. And Donald Trump is just perfect because he comes in and he says these ridiculous, awful, xenophobic, racist things, and everybody gets really riled up about him not winning. And so when whoever gets up against him, be it Clinton or Sanders, it's going to be Clinton, um, we're going to feel really relieved when Hillary Clinton wins the president. We're going to be like, oh, well, at least it wasn't Trump. And we'll feel like we've done something. We defeated Trump. We, we haven't done anything. Hillary Clinton is the biggest shill of the establishment there has ever been. She is in bed with everything and everybody. She is not even probably a human. She's a robot. And um, she's going to continue everything that's running right now, which is to increase military spending, which is to um, keep us on this course towards the United States and its military controlling the world. And yet... It's going to keep the very nice, friendly, democratic face of a woman, of someone who advocates for gay rights. People talk about human rights and, and the things that we've accomplished in the, in the last eight years uh, under Obama. And they'll talk about it as if it's been this great revolution, and that our people in the United States have risen up and accomplished something. And they'll, they'll point out, well, look, we got gay marriage. Well, great. Do you think gay marriage has any effect on the establishment? Do you think gay people getting married does anything to bother the corporations or the banks or the military-industrial complex? No, it just helps. More marriages means more mortgages, means more people in debt slavery, which just keeps the boat floating in the right direction. 
So it's just these illusions, these little tokens being thrown out, legalizing marijuana. Oh, big fucking deal. Is that really going to make a difference at all in anything? Does that really upset? No, it just means more things that can get taxed. It means that the existing marijuana industry is going to have to be changed and corporatized and marketed. So this is a little political rant for you. I'd like to get back to the election. Basically, it's this huge hullabaloo that everybody can talk about. Everyone can express their opinion. And it's just this big pressure release valve for all the frustrated citizens of the world that know deep down something is not right and everything is going in the wrong fucking direction, largely. Things are not getting better. Things are getting worse. The environment is getting fucked. The corporations are getting stronger. The poor are getting much poorer. All that frustration has this little brief six-month window where it can get shot off and people can pretend like their vote has something to do with this. And in the end, we're going to be pacified by the fact that we have a new president and it's a woman and she's going to say stirring things. And what she's not going to say is that she's going to increase military spending so that the United States will now spend more than $1 trillion a year on its military. A trillion dollars. That's $999 billion plus another billion. So all of the talk about this and that, about social justice or about ta closing tax loopholes or about being, making, improving you know, education is all a bunch of bullshit when it comes to the feet of that $1 trillion number that is every year. And where does that $1 trillion come from? It comes from the taxpayers. Or it comes from the air from which money is created by our Federal Reserve System. And where does that $1 trillion go? It goes into the pockets of the military-industrial complex, the people that make bombs to kill people and bullets to kill people. That doesn't even count the spending for homeland security, which will no doubt go up because no doubt we'll find a way to keep the Middle East in a complete fucking state of chaos and keep everybody a little bit scared about all the crazy people out there running around with guns that they got from the United States of America. So in these six months leading up to the election, everybody can express their frustration about the current state of affairs, and everybody can express their fear about some lunatic like Donald Trump and the secret slimy lunatic like Barack Obama and his, his successor, Hillary Clinton, starts to look really great and sensible, and the whole world will agree that, boy, we really did something great in 2016 when we elected the first woman president. I can't even listen to it. I can't even listen to it. I can't even listen to people. It's like they, they descend into the box whereby all of their comments or their discussion is not going to exceed the framework whereby we put in place another fucking shill. They're not going to talk about this system at large. They're just going to talk about this one person or this other person, let alone that these people are not people. They're just like the figureheads, the bobbleheads wobbling on top of these massive black stinky, disgusting, polluting, evil-killing machines that they're riding that are just f underneath the surface. And our discussion of elections are just going to zoom in on the bobblehead and keep that in the focus while all this massive machinery is going to continue to run. At this point... It's looking much as I predicted, as 
anybody could have predicted Donald Trump is going to win the Republican primary and Hillary Clinton is going to win the Democratic primary. And since I believe Donald Trump has no delusion of actually becoming president, I think it's all a huge stunt and he's probably making a lot of money from somebody for pulling it off. Um, Hillary Clinton is going to win and everybody with, a, you know, Basically, everybody is going to feel like we've done something, accomplished something. We're going to be relieved that Donald Trump isn't president. Uh, I wish that Bernie, Bernie Sanders were going to win this election, um, but my feeling is that uh, they never, never would allow him to unless he were a shill himself. And... Um, so maybe him not winning the election is a good sign that Bernie Sanders is actually legit because if he were to win, I would have to really doubt that he were for real. Anyhow, um, it's a sad state of affairs and that's definitely a subject for another podcast. But for now, I want to tell you about something that bothers me. Are you guys familiar with the paper towel dispenser called soft pull? Uh, it's probably derived from the words soft and pull, but they decided that soft pull was too clunky, and instead they dropped the T and came up with the, the marvelous, marvelous title of soft pull. Which kind of sounds like a retard speaking. Soft pull. Is that a soft pull? Um, and by retard, I mean somebody who's mentally handicapped. And as we all know, there's nothing wrong with that. And, and I shouldn't use the word retard. And definitely shouldn't use the word retard. But who says soft pull? It's a soft... Is that a soft pull? Oh, it's a hard pull? Or it's soft pull? I like soft things. I don't know what was wrong with soft pull. Anyway, I do know what's wrong with these paper towel dispensers. Uh, they don't work as advertised. Um, so what it is, it's, it's a canister on the wall, and then it has a little conical tip at the bottom. And protruding from that tip... Uh, is supposed to be a, a, a tip of paper towel that you can grab. And then uh, there's a big sign that says, Pull Straight Down. <laughs> I don't know, uh, has anybody ever tried pulling straight down? Well, what happens is the, the paper towels come out in a very long string. And you have to stop at some point and say, Wow, that's more paper towels than I need and grab onto the string of paper towels with one hand and tear off the paper towel you want with the other hand. 
I believe, as the paper towels are all perforated, the way this is supposed to work is that magically, as you're pulling straight down, I don't know, some magical fairies inside the tip of that cone grab onto the paper towel string and you only come away with one paper towel. But that has never happened for me. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm the type of person that likes to use things the right way. You know, I like to I like to open doors the right way by, you know, if the if the door is is off of its hinges slightly and is straining against the jam, well, I'm the type to to pull the door in before I turn the knob so that all that stress doesn't go against the tongue of the door. And if you're if you're like this, you understand what I'm talking about. Basically, when it comes to the the correct operation of objects in this universe, I do my very best to follow the, the, the instructions to the letter and use things correctly so they don't wear out and break down. <laughs> you know, so I would like to just pull straight down, soft pull, but the problem is that doesn't work. <laughs> and what I end up having to do is pull straight down and then a little to the left and rip off that one, um, that one sheet of paper towel. I don't know what kind of magical elven-fingered product tester you have in, in your factory that is able to pull straight down. He's probably uh, spent hours perfecting this move, so he, he pulls straight down and then uh, 75% of the way through that first paper towel, he increases his pulling speed by 50% and the, the paper towel comes off in one pull. But, but that's not how an average person works. You know, this is this can't be some scientific procedure. This is this is the simple act of getting a paper towel. And I I applaud your effort, soft pull, at creating a system whereby uh, you don't have to ever touch uh, a handle or a knob or other people's paper towels. It's a noble effort. But you know what? You failed. It didn't work. It didn't work. It didn't work. Okay? It certainly doesn't work pulling straight down. It sometimes works if you pull straight down and then rip to the side, but that probably gums up your little machine. And so then you end up with this canister on the wall with the conical tip with no paper towel protruding from it. And then your um, installers will be like, well, you got to pull straight down. Well, I did pull straight down, and I got 50 paper towels. Fix it. Make it work. If it doesn't work, scrap the idea. I'm sorry, it's a nice idea, but just because it's a nice idea doesn't mean it doesn't have to work. And who are all the businesses that overlook this? They get swindled by the soft pull installers and their sweet talk about, you know, germ-free paper towel handling. But who, who is like, sees the soft pull guy come in with his canister and be like, oh yeah, those are great, I like those, those work really well. Do the soft pull people prey on their insecurity about being germy? Uh, and and just say, well, this is germ-free, and the, the the restaurant owners are like, oh, well, I want that. I'm all about no germs. Both the soft pool installers and the restaurant owners talk like this. <laughs> soft pool. Mm. Um, so, soft pool, I recommend you go back to the drawing board. Go back to the drawing board or hire a team of elves, a massive army of elves that fit inside the cones of your paper towel dispensers and can sit there and watch the train of paper towels go out and then grab onto the one, the second one, so that the first one comes off cleanly.
podcast <clears throat> i had this great just freaking great outro recorded it was funny it bounced around i talked about turning everybody into pumpkins and becoming the pumpkin king and then i go and i listen to it on audacity which is the audio software that i use it's called audacity and it's got this little crackle going in it and considered keeping it because it was so good and so funny. <laughs> and I was like, maybe they can just tolerate the crackle for five minutes. But it's really pretty frustrating and annoying. So my what I'm, what I'm doing, I'm out in my car again, outside the library. I'm recording on my phone, which I know is reliable and won't get crackly. And I'm going to try to record a good outro. And if it's, say, 75% as good as the original, I'll keep it. And the original one, it will ne- that's the th- sad thing, is you'll never hear it. You'll never hear it. And I, I went on, like, this rant, and I don't know if I can, like, muster up that rant. I don't think I should try to recreate it. I should just try to get something new. But I liked what I talked about in the rant, and that's... Uh, see, now I'm going to come at it, it's going to be all, like, serious and heartfelt instead of funny. But I think it's still important. Let's try to get it out there. Can we talk about, uh, I'm, I'm asking you to pray for me and that my cold disappears. See, now I'm just using the exact lines from the other one. and it, I can't do that. This is why, this is why when I think about doing stand-up, I, I want it to be totally unscripted. Um, the one time I did it, I kind of messed up because I, I basically, I like halfway scripted it, but not all the way. So it was like I was following the script partially but it wasn't if I had just written it out all the way it would have been good or if I had written nothing it might have been good might have been good so this is what happens when you kind of fall in between is it sounds really lame but basically um I really want to get over no I'm basically over this cold it's okay you don't have to worry about me you know I have my journal to write in to complain about it and it just takes rest folks it just takes rest things can linger if you don't sleep them off sleep them off fight them off um, all right, I just want to say, just going to say this, can we talk about, can we talk about military spending? If we're going to talk about things, can we choose what we talk about instead of just talking about what the news is talking about and what we're told to talk about, which are really meaningless things that won't get us anywhere? Let's, how about let's talk about military spending and how we're spending a trillion dollars a year on our military and, and gee, um... Wouldn't it be great if we spent about half of that money on our military, or let's say even a quarter of it, and then put the rest of it into like healthcare and uh, free education for everybody? A trillion dollars a year, you could have free healthcare, and you could have free education for college students. Uh, But everyone's like, oh no, you can't do that. Let's be realistic. You know, I'd love for there to be free healthcare, but. Oh, uh, we got to be realistic and, you know, the United States is in debt. No, it's not that hard. It's not that hard. All you have to do is take half of the money that we're spending on killing people and spend it on helping people and voila, things change. It's really not that big of a deal. So that's my wish for this week is that we talk about that instead of talking about oh, 
all these other stupid things that we talk about that actually don't make a difference. Something like that would change the world in like a little bit of time. But uh, but we don't want to talk about that. We want to talk about other things that don't make a difference. So that's my wish. And then next week, my wish is going to be for some really good gluten-free mac and cheese. Because I feel bad for all those gluten-free people out there that have to eat shitty mac and cheese all the time. It sucks. It sucks. I mean, I think you should probably just forget about pasta. Let's be real. Just forget about it. Stop trying to make pasta, you know... Just forget about pasta, because you all know what real pasta tastes like, and then you have to eat this shit that tastes like cardboard. Be like, oh yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> it's pretty good, I thought. It's pretty good. No, it's not. It tastes like cardboard. Um, just eat polenta. Move on. Leave pasta behind. Sorry, you can't eat pasta, and you can't eat bagels. That's, that's the... <laughs> God. Um, I'd like to give thanks right now to the Lord Jesus Christ for giving me enzymes that process gluten really well. It probably wasn't Jesus that did that. It's probably my mom and like the things she was eating or not eating. It's probably my genetics. Who knows? God's will. God's will and I have, I I can eat gluten. Well, this wasn't as good as the first one. I think you probably know that. You probably can tell by now that this wasn't as good. And I really just tried to shoehorn that military spending thing in there. But that's like a big, that's like a thing. Like, that's like, ah, uh, like if you think about that, doesn't it make it frustrating to talk about all these other things? When you know that like the United States could have all, could have free healthcare and free university for everybody. And like, um, and it, it would also, we'd also would stop killing people all over the world and making people all over the all over the world hate us. Like wouldn't that be a good step towards national security instead of building military bases around the world and like overthrowing governments and supporting coups and and having our CIA all up in everybody's shit? What if instead we just stopped fucking with everybody <laughs> for a minute? Don't you think that might help our national security? I don't know, it's just a thought. <laughs> Just saying. Just saying. Boy, you guys are real sweet little pumpkins for listening to all this. You really are. You're just like, I want to just bounce you on my knee and pet your little heads and give you kisses and say, thanks, pumpkin. (laughs) That's not creepy, okay? It's not creepy. It was like a totally just a paternal knee bounce. (laughs) Straight up and down. I was just bouncing straight up and down. I wasn't rubbing back and forth at all. Boy, I don't know when I'm going to let my children listen to these podcasts. How old will I have to be when I let them listen to them? I'd say probably 15. I mean, for them to be able to listen to that and think it's funny and not be, like, scarred by it. Um, And then it's interesting. We can also listen to these things, like, when our children are less than two years old because they don't understand it. But do they? Do they? Don't they? But don't they? <laughs> don't they? Alright, folks. Um, subscribe to the podcast. Just do it. Subscribe to it. And tell your friends. Tell your friends. There's this podcast. Hey, check it out. Painting Pictures with Gabriel Roberts. 
Any questions for me, please get on your computer and open your Gmail machine and email me at gaberobertsart at gmail.com. Send me your deepest uh, issues. Send me, you know, your, your, your most pressing problems and I will give you the answers. If you want to know if you should break up with that person or not, the answer is yes. I'll just tell you that right now. The answer is yes. You've known it. Stop fucking around and just break up with them. You knew, you've known it. You've known. You both know. You both know it needs to happen. So just do it. Do it and get on with your life. Fuck. Stop pretending that like it, you're learning something. I mean, you are. And you, you always will be as long as you stay in it. Even if you stay in it way too long, you'll still be learning things. But then as soon as you do it, you'll be like, God damn, why didn't I do this sooner? I don't know. Maybe you should stay with them. No, I'm shaking my head right now. Maybe you should stay with them. <laughs> okay, so that's my relationship advice. End the relationship. Um, I don't know. If you have kids, I guess it's more complex. Maybe you should stay together for the kids. I don't know. Maybe you should have an open relationship. I don't know. Maybe you should uh, stop eating so much ice cream. No, I think you should eat more ice cream. Um... Uh, more ice cream. I don't know. No dietary advice. Okay. Don't ask me for dietary or nutrition advice. Just ask me for like life advice. And if you want me to talk about your problems on the podcast and use your first and last name, I'm happy to do that. Happy to do that. Anytime. Um, I hope you're enjoying springtime wherever you are or fall. If you're in the Southern hemisphere, and thanks for listening. I really do appreciate it. The website for the podcast is GabeRobertsArt.com. There's a support page there where you can donate monies to me so I can get a new microphone so I don't have to deal with this snap, crackle, pop business. I'll probably just record everything on my phone now and then have to deal with the whole voice memos thing, which I finally figured out, but really it should be more intuitive. <laughs> it really should. All right, folks. <clears throat> I'm really wrapping it up. Uh, tune in next week for an interview with a really cool musician named Nico Lawless. That's his suit, his you know stage name or whatever. But aren't, aren't we all just using stage names? <laughs> That's coming up next week. Uh, I hope my cold goes away, and I hope that you guys just just think about military spending and just think about that and compare it to all the other bullshit that we talk about and be like, hmm, maybe we should talk about something important. All right, I'll leave you with that. Uh, keep your feet warm, you know, get yourself a wash basin, give yourself foot baths and, uh, I'll leave you with a song as well. This is me on the uke, uh, cause, cause my guitar needs new strings, which are on order. Got a not really nice Amazon order coming. All right. All right. I'll wrap it up. You guys are great. Um, this is me on the ukulele, and, and I'm singing a cover of the Rogue Waves song, Your Eyes. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. Until next time, adios. Missed the last train home. Birds pass by to tell me that I'm not alone. Pushing myself to finish this part Hands on the ground One thing I'm missing It's in your eyes It's in your eyes 
It's my butt. It's my butt. It's my butt. It's my butt. 